You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a four-part series of messages Robert A. Cook presented from the Book of Philippians at Founders Week 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Now, here is Robert A. Cook on Today in the Word radio. Thank you very much. That was a nice introduction, wasn't it? Just the way I wrote it. Introductions are like perfume. You don't swallow it, you just enjoy it as it goes by. (laughs) Yesterday we talked about the implications of the statement that the Lord Jesus Christ is our life. Today in chapter 2 I want to chat with you for a while about the practical implications of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any compassions and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things only, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not a thing to be grasped at, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Jesus is Lord. If I were to ask you this morning to vote on it, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? I think we'd get a 100% affirmative vote. If, however, I were to ask you how and in what sense is he Lord in your life, you might have to think about that a little bit. It is my purpose to help you think about it in these next few moments before we reach quitting time. How and in what sense does he become Lord of your life? Now, as we look at this second chapter, we find that it starts with with the personal experiences that you and I have. Consolation, comfort, love, fellowship, compassion, mercies, joy. Let me suggest then, first of all, that if the Lord Jesus Christ is to become Lord of your life, you need to make him Lord of your feelings. Whether or not you want to admit it, ladies and gentlemen, many of the great decisions of life are based not upon a cool, rational analysis of the facts, but upon the way you feel about things. And no amount of lecturing, I've discovered, makes people feel any different. 
Have you ever been crying about something, your, your heart was breaking over something, and a, a friend or relative would come up and say, don't cry, don't feel bad. Did that help you? Did it help you stop crying then? No. You took your first airplane ride and you sat beside a seasoned traveler who had flown around the world. You were shaking with fright. You were holding on to the, to the uh, whatever you could get hold of to hold the airplane up. Your body, your body was rigid with fear. You were about to lose your lunch. You had something, in other words, to bring up in the meeting. And uh, <laughs> this seasoned traveler looked at you as your face became ashen and then green with fright. And he said, don't be scared. Everything's going to be all right. Nothing's going to happen. Just as fine. Now, did that help you? Not much. Gesundheit. I used to be afraid of the dark when I was a little boy. As a little motherless boy, I had the dubious privilege of being uh, welcomed, shall we say, in different homes. And for some time, I lived in a farm home in Ohio with an aunt and uncle. Wonderful people, but, but well, they were frugal and different, you may say. We had electric lights, but they never used them except when there was company. It was too expensive. <laughs> Otherwise, you used a kerosene uh, light or a candle or something. It was much cheaper. And in that atmosphere, when it was time to go to bed, someone would put me to bed, little six, seven-year-old, whatever it was. And it was upstairs to that bedroom and get under the covers after having said a brief, now I lay me, prayer. And uh, then someone would slam the door and it would be dark. Now, this was an old farmhouse and there was a pine tree just next to the, the sideboards of the house. And when the wind was blowing, the branches of the pine tree would scrape along the side of the house and groan. Have you ever heard a tree groan at night when you were in the dark and afraid? And then, of course, if the moon were shining through those gnarled branches, the worst kind of shadows would come <laughs> on the wall. And you were sure that Frankenstein or one of his nephews was coming to get you. And I would lie there and make whimpering little boy noises until someone would come stomping up the stairs, generally my Uncle Frank, fling open the door and say, what's the matter with you, boy? You shouldn't be afraid. You're nearly seven now. Don't be scared. Slam. He'd go on down. <laughs> I'll tell you, that just blessed me to death. <laughs> I had to be quiet, but I wasn't any less scared. But when my father would come from Cleveland, Ohio, to see his little boy, and I'd catch sight of him walking down the old uh, dirt road, swinging his battered suitcase and his hat tipped back over the bald spot on his head, and he'd be whistling a little off-key tune. And uh, he'd see me, and we'd run to greet each other, and we'd have supper together. And then after a while, as the evening wore on, it'd be time to go to bed, and he'd bed down with his little boy in the big four-poster bed up in that same dark room, you want to know something? I wasn't scared at all. Because you see, if you want a difference in the way you feel about things, whether it's fear or resentment or sorrow or jealousy or greed or pride or lust or anger 
or whatever. If you want a difference in the way you feel about things, it takes a person, ladies and gentlemen, and that person, his name is Jesus. Make him Lord of your feelings. I read some time ago the story of a lady who lost her first little baby. The baby was born, lived for about four hours, and then died. She telephoned her mother and father who lived perhaps 1,000 or 1,200 miles away and said, the baby has died and we'll have a little funeral service. Of course you're coming, aren't you? And her mother hesitated a moment and said, well, dear, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we have the funds to do it and, and your dad can't get off and I don't think we can come. And that just stabbed at the heart of that young mother. And she carried that grief and resentment in her heart for some years that her own parents didn't come to the simple little service when that firstborn little child was buried. They wasn't there. They weren't there when she needed them so badly. And she held it against her folks for some years. It bothered her, though, because she knew that Jesus said, forgive if you have aught against any. It bothered her. And she was telling her best friend about it one day, and her best friend very wisely said, well, of course you can't forgive because you're human. But where does Jesus live? Well, she said, he lives in my heart. I received him as my Savior, and he dwells within me. She said, that's right. And although you can't forgive, Jesus can. I want to say to somebody today who's struggling with your feelings, feelings of fear, feelings of guilt, feelings of unforgiveness, you say, I can't handle it, I can't cope with it, I can't do it. All right, that's right, you can't, but he can. Make him Lord of your feelings. Amen? Now make him Lord also of your relationships with people. He said, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love of one accord of one mind. Like-minded, does that mean I have to agree with everybody? No, I don't think so. I have a little cookism saying that I use sometimes. It goes like this. If you find a man who always agrees with you, you have to watch him because he's apt to lie about other things too. <laughs> you people who are going out into the pastorate, or into business or whatever, don't build around you a bunch of yes-men because you'll pay for it in many, many ways. Get people who have, who have the courage to think their own thoughts, but the loyalty to work with you, even when you make a mistake. Well, I, I threw that in free. There's no charge for that. But in any case, we do have differences of opinions because we see things differently. So like-minded, I guess, doesn't really mean agreeing on everything. What does it mean? It means having the same mindset, reasoning from the basis of certain things that have been settled as the givens, let us say, the givens for the proceedings in life. Decide what it is, I say to my young people at the King's College, decide what it is that you're willing to be shot for at five o'clock tomorrow morning. Make a list of the things for which you are willing to die. Be a short list, I assure you probably get shorter as you think about it. But once you have decided what you're willing to die for, then you got something to live for, haven't you? Oh, yes, you have. Like-minded means decide what really counts. Mind set, I guess is what the psychologist would say. Your mind set 
is that on which you have thought seriously and decided that this is the way it is for you. You and I agree not on everything, but we agree on the things that matter. We agree on the inspiration and infallible and inerrancy of the Word of God. We agree on the great truths of the Christian faith, that our Lord Jesus Christ is very God of God, and that He was born of the Virgin Mary, and that He lived that perfect sinless life and died that perfect atoning death, and that He rose bodily from the grave, and that He ascended into glory, and that He's there to intercede for the believer, and that He's coming again one glad day, and it could be today, couldn't it? He's coming again to receive His own to Himself. We believe in the necessity of the new birth. We believe in the reality and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. We believe in the oneness of believers all over the world, Christ's body, the church. We believe in the reality of heaven and hell and judgment. We believe in the Christian faith. We have settled some things. Now that's what you call like-minded. Don't specialize in trivia. Specialize in great truth. Decide what it is that you're willing to live and die for and then get together with other people who feel the same way and God will bless you regardless of small differences in procedural matters. Who cares what color you paint the boiler room? Don't worry about the color of the shingles on the roof. Just make sure that the Holy Spirit of God is allowed to come into the services. You get along real well. Your relationships with people, like-minded. Then he said, having the same love. Having the same love. Now, how, how do you get at this? Well, he simply says, have the same object of love. And this can be true in spite I remind you of differences. Let me give you a simple illustration of this. Let's say that you belong to a Scandinavian family. Are there any Swedes, Norwegians, and Danes in the, in the, in the crowd today, any Scandahoovians? Well, a few of God's chosen people, I see. All right. Let's say that you belong to a Scandinavian family, and uh, your son is a tall, handsome, tow-headed, beautifully built, Young man, he's got the he's got the 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 features of a Greek god. You know, he, oh, he's tremendous. And let's make him intelligent and a gentleman as well. Now, that's practically impossible, but let's do it. <laughs> so he's getting a 4.0 uh, average, and uh, he's he's nice. He's a gentleman. He's soft-spoken. He is low pressure. He's a good athlete. He's a great boy. Okay. Now he falls in love with a, a petite, charming, beautiful, intelligent, born-again, gracious Italian girl. Now, of course, your wife says, couldn't you pick out somebody from the Norwegians or the Swedes? Well, he didn't. He, unfortunately, you cannot choose who your youngsters are going to fall in love with. But now he's in love with this beautiful little Italian girl, and she's a Christian, and she loves Jesus, and she's a lady, and she's gracious, and she's going to make him a fine wife. Well, they get married, and they start their home together. And of course, there are certain points of difference in the culture. Uh, I'll, I'll give you just one illustration. On Christmas Eve, uh, anybody in a Scandinavian family, they, they have uh, lutefisk. Now, lutefisk is a codfish that has been caught, beaten to death, and then, and then allowed to dry out for six months, and then soaked in some kind of a nefarious solution, 
which uh, makes the bones somewhat gelatinous. And uh, then you prepare it in some kind of a mysterious way and serve it on Christmas Eve. That's lutefisk. Now, the Italians, they do the same thing, but they, have, they call it bacala. Now, it's the same fish, but it hasn't been dead as long. And, you know, there's differences in customs and differences in the way that you, you get at things and all of that. And so you have a certain amount of good-natured grumbling about it. But let's say that this young couple strikes a snag somewhere and they are in tremendous need. Now, what's going to happen with your Scandinavian family and her Italian family? You're going to get together and argue about Christmas customs or anything like that? No, you're not. I'll tell you what you'll do. The two of you, the two families of you, are going to get together and say, how can we help these kids? And you are willing to mortgage your home or do anything you can to help them through that rough spot. Why? Because you have what the Bible calls the same love. It's the same object of love. You love those kids, and they love those kids, and those you are willing to do all you can for them. Now that's what he's talking about here. Make the Lord Jesus Lord of your relationships. Because when you love the Lord Jesus supremely, it gets you together with other people regardless of differences in culture or custom or point of view. Lucio Mirabelli met me at the airport in Rome years ago. He spoke no English. I spoke no Italian. I speak Spanish, but it didn't quite work too well. And so we were, after a certain amount of fractured uh, attempts to communicate, he got me through customs and got me on the train to Naples. It was called the Rapido. That was a misnomer. It made all of 25 miles an hour. But anyhow, we were on our way. He was seated facing me in the front, and we ran out of anything to say. I mean, how often can you say nice weather we're having? And so we sat there looking at each other and smiling occasionally. Suddenly a thought struck him. He looked at me, broke into a wide grin, and said, Hallelujah! I said, Gloria Jesu! We got along fine the rest of the, the journey. <laughs> I know he must have been blessed because he shared his sandwich with me. And that's the acid test, as you know. The same love. You love Jesus with all your heart. Make sure, ladies and gentlemen, Students, let me just address you. Make sure every day in your busy student life that you, you linger long enough in the presence of your Lord at the beginning of the day to have your heart warm and tender toward Him. You'll find things go a lot better with people as a result. The same love. If you love Jesus with all your heart, you'll find that you are on the same wavelength, so to speak, with others who also love Him that way. Make Him Lord of your mind. I'm skipping some of this in the interest of time. I want to say the things that are most important, hopefully. Make him Lord of your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You have, <clears throat> between your two ears, a computer. The magazines and the newspapers today are full of stories about computers. Any, any business magazine you pick up now will have a feature story on the availability of computers. A computer, you know, is that gadget that's made up of those little silicon chips that contain so many bits of information. And you pay about $2,500 for it, set it up in your home, punch in the facts for, and, and then strike the total button. And there on the screen in front of you, you will have the result. It says, you are overdrawn at the bank. Well, it may not be all that simple. 
but uh, this is the age of computers. You have between your two ears, ladies and gentlemen, a computer far more complex than anything that industry will ever be able to build because it has in it not only the ability to communicate between the billions of, of electrical contacts that God has built into your brain, but also the ability to reason about them and draw conclusions, and that's something that a computer cannot do. He says, let this mind be in you. Make him Lord of the computer. I don't know if there are any programmers in the crowd or not. Anybody who works with computers here knows what I'm going to say. There's a saying in the computer business among programmers that is summed up with four letters. G-I-G-O. You know what that stands for? Garbage in, garbage out. That means what you crank into it is exactly what you're going to get out of it. If you put nonsense syllables into the computer, that's what you'll get out. If you put a program that makes sense into the computer, that's what you'll get out. Garbage in, garbage out. A lot of people today are feeding their minds on the garbage of the world, and then they are surprised occasionally when under pressure that same garbage comes out. You would like to be holy sometimes, but instead what you've been putting into the computer comes out. Now, don't expect God to do the miracle of changing the contents of your mind. He left that job up to you. Let your mind be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, God said to Joshua, but thou shalt meditate, Joshua's job, thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do Joshua's job that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God's blessed man, as noted in the first psalm, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Your job to meditate, your job to memorize, your job to obey the Word of God. God's job under the leader of the Holy Spirit to crank out, so to speak, from the computer the reaction that is necessary under the pressures of life. Thy word have I hid in my heart. You could use the word computer if you want to make it more literal. Thy word have I hid in the computer of my mind that I might not sin against thee. It is the word of God that gives faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the word of God that washes. Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Paul speaks of the washing of water by the word. It is the word of God that satisfies. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And so you put God's word and God's will and the concepts that have to do with all of this, you put that into the computer of your mind, and then it cranks out under the leadership of the Spirit of God when you need it under the pressures of life. Let Jesus be Lord of your mind. <clears throat> now, how you do this? How do you get anything into your unconscious mind? That's what they call what I've been talking about, the computer, the unconscious mind. It was named for a college freshman, I think. But anyhow, <laughs> how do you get it back there into the unconscious mind? Years ago, I read a little book uh, that was titled The Technique of Producing New Ideas. I've used the idea of the book ever since. The author said, if you want to get anything new from your mind, what you do is you take all of the data that you can find on any given subject that you're studying, and you write them down 
on separate pieces of paper. Three by five cards serve very well in this uh, degree. You write down the, all the facts that you can dig out about that subject that you may be studying. Write them on separate pieces of paper. Then, he said, you rearrange. I would say shuffle, but some of you were tenderly reared. Uh, you, you rearrange. <laughs> oh, you're a good crowd. A little colonel, I'll pray for you. You rearrange these cards in different order. And oftentimes you'll get a glimmering of an idea just by seeing the facts in a different order. Then, said he, you think about all of that. You go over it and over it and over it and think about it until your brain is just weary with the effort. I add, because we're Christians, I add the word pray. You think and pray over that until your mind is just weary with the effort. Then the fourth step was, let go of it entirely, forget it. And he said, in some of the hours that, that lie ahead, you can't tell when it will happen, but in some of the hours that lie ahead, you'll get a new idea based on what you put into your mind. Now this is how to get the Word of God into the computer of your mind. You read it, you memorize it, you think and pray over it, you relate it to other passages of Scripture and, and handle it, so to speak, and then after your brain has gotten almost weary, you might say, with the effort, you consciously let go of it, it slips back into the computer, and it's there for God to use. A beautiful technique, make Jesus Lord of your mind. Time doesn't serve us today to talk about Lord of your your uh, motives, except to uh, mention that he says, don't do anything through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each person esteem the other better than themselves. Do all things with fear and trembling because, he said, you're dealing with eternal matters. Your motives, why do you want to do things? Simply, let's just stop here long enough to say to each other, every now and then, back off from what you're doing and say, why am I doing this? You will be amazed sometimes, if you're honest about it, you'll be amazed at the answer that comes. You know, in other words, why am I studying so hard? Well, it's to cultivate the prop for a straight C in, in reality. Why am I doing this? He says, don't, don't do it through strife. That's to get the better of a person in an argument. Or vainglory, that's to look better than the other person by comparison. But he says, don't look every man on his own things only, but every man also on the things of others. Small thought here. Do you want to get along better with people? Form the habit of thinking in terms of what does this person really need. You'd be amazed at how people are interested in what they need. And if they find out that you also are interested in that same subject, they will feel safe with you and you will have a better relationship worked out. I was, uh, I was taught this truth dramatically one day when I stopped and complained to a friend of mine about what I thought was going on in my job situation. When I got through complaining to him about my job situation, you know what he said to me? He looked at me and said with such appreciation, he said, you know, Bob, it's wonderful you understand what I'm going through. 
Now, I hadn't talked about him at all, but he had related it to his own trials and tribulations, and they were indeed real. He got fired the next week. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he hadn't heard a word I said about myself because he was busy thinking about himself. Look not every man on his own things only, but every man also on the things of others. When you look at people, ask yourself this question. What does this person really need? What does he really want? Where is he hurting? I say to my young people at the King's College, every person you ever meet will be hurting somewhere. Find out where he or she is hurting and apply the, the healing balm of Gilead to that area of, the, of life if you can. What does this person need? What does he want? Where is he hurting? How may I help him? These are the things that will make you a person with whom others feel safe. And it will make your working with others far easier and far more effective. Make the Lord Jesus Lord of your motives. Ask in your daily prayer time. Ask him to make you want things for his reasons. Nevertheless, our Lord Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Make him Lord of your motives. The last thing I'll say to you today is this. Make him Lord of your lifestyle. Make him Lord of your lifestyle. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God indeed without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. Your lifestyle, this takes in your methods, this takes in your impact upon other people. This takes in your reputation. Always remember this, it may be all right for you, but if it doesn't seem right to other people, you have lost them so far as your impact for Jesus Christ is concerned. Take care of your reputation. It will follow you the rest of your life. I say to our people, there is room for the occasional misunderstanding where folk misinterpret what you intended. But what people say about you over a period of 20 years is going to be precisely the truth. You take care of your reputation and take care of your impact upon others in the light of the Lordship of Christ. Let him run your methods. Let him determine your lifestyle. The way you live and the way you talk and the way you look and the way you act with other people is directly related to your relationship to Jesus Christ as your Lord. I dare to say that the closer a person gets to Jesus Christ, the easier he is to live with. Now, for some of us, that's pretty hard to demonstrate. But, of course, you have to say that that type of person would be infinitely harder to get along with were he not a Christian. So you sort of discount it. But as a general rule, the closer you get to the Lord Jesus, the easier you are to get along with. Now he says, shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Your big job, ladies and gentlemen, is not to succeed, but to shine. Nobody ever criticizes a light that's shining in the darkness. Nobody ever criticizes a light that is shining in the darkness. Your job is not to be praised. It's not to succeed. It's not to make X number of dollars. It's not to be written up as the greatest since Billy Sunday. Your job is to shine. And you do this by holding forth the one thing that helps you shine, and that is the Word of God. Be a specialist, not in commenting about God's Word, but in simply saying what it says. Declare the Word of God. The prophets, the ancient prophets, had 
as their trademark the saying, thus saith the Lord. In our day, we say the Bible says. That's the word of God for us, the word of God written. And so your authority is the word of God and the source of the luminescence of your life. The source of the shining is not your personality, not your gifts, not your abilities, not even your training, but it's the effectiveness with which you hold out God's message to a dying world. Let me then ask you as we conclude these moments, how are you doing in the job of holding forth the word of life? Holding forth the word of life. Remember, the shine will be dimmed wherever you fail in these matters that he mentions, murmurings, disputings, blameless, harmless, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Where you fail in those areas, it dims the shine, just like the smoke in the chimney of a kerosene lamp it causes the light to be dimmed. You have to clean out the, the carbon particles inside of the lamp chimney. Then the light shines out. So remembering that, ask yourself, how am I doing in this matter of shining? A light doesn't make any noise. It just shines. Salt doesn't make any noise. It just seasons. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. These are the things that God considers important. Make Jesus Lord of your lifestyle. This week, students, let me say this word to you. What a precious privilege you have during a whole week where you can take in the Word of God and think and pray about it and realign your life's goals and somehow come up with a new view of God's will for your life. This week, ask God to show you the things that keep you from shining and ask Him to make your life a shining light among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Make Jesus Lord of your lifestyle. Well, there we have it for today what it means to make Jesus Lord, Lord of your feelings, Lord of your relationships, Lord of your mind, Lord of your motives and methods, Lord of the way you live. And he'll do it if you ask him to. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says. Let's call on him just now in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. In this moment before I pray, and then turn the service back to Dr. Sweeting. Let me ask you, is Jesus really Lord of these key areas in your life? God brought you here not simply to taste a number of good sermons and then go away and forget the whole thing. God brought you here to make a difference in your life. Is Jesus Lord? Oh, whisper to him a prayer just now in your own heart. and Make him Lord of these key areas in your life and personality. That's what he wants. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived again, that he might be Lord. That's what he wants. He wants to be Lord of your life. Let him, let him, let him be Lord today. Oh, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask that thou wilt bless thy word and make it bear fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of four messages Robert A. Cook presented from the Book of Philippians at Founders Week in 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.